This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to Efficiency on Demand, everyone. Today, I have an amazing guest from Colorado, and he got connected to me through a mutual friend. I want to say it was Imi again, because he connected me with a lot of amazing people. So Imi, that's your third shout out, I guess. Thank you so much. And so I'm super excited to dive into your story because I really want to know a few things about it and... But first of all, let me welcome you to the show, David Schloss. And it sounds like a German surname, though. It is. It is. That's on my father's side. And Ooh. everyone loves calling me by my last name. So <laughs> I just own it. And I have accepted it since probably fifth grade that everyone will no longer call me David. Everyone will just call me Schloss for the rest of my life. And it's okay. It's okay. I love it. Well, welcome to the show. And thank you so much for taking time today. No problem. Thank you. Tell everyone, please, who you are besides uh, having a German surname and what you're doing. Yeah, so I, let's see, on the surface level, I'm an ad agency owner. I basically operate a agency out of Colorado, first started in Florida. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and went to college in Florida. Everything was Florida for 28 years of my life. Basically decided along the way, entrepreneurship was my, my destiny. Obviously did not make that decision at a young age. It just sort of fell upon the journey I was on and I ran with it ever since then. I've essentially over time worked with all sorts of different mentors and coaches and, and owned my craft along the way to the point where now, I mean, just owning the fact that I feel I'm an authority in the space and being able to educate people on advertising and, and operate an ad agency for hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 13 years of doing this. And so uh, outside that, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a husband now. I'm a, you know basically a father to a three and a half month old at this moment. So it's like everything is evolving very fast <laughs> in this day and age for me. But at the same time, uh, everyone knows me as an advertiser. You know, I run Facebook and Instagram ads for people, mm -hmm. and it's the thing that I've put all of my attention and effort into basically since Facebook came onto the scene uh, 13 years ago. So this is the thing that I do every day, but at the same time, I'm a lot more than just an advertiser. It's just right. well known. Yeah. Yep. I love it. So talk to me a little bit how you grew up in Miami and what was it like to then yeah. go from Florida to Colorado? Yeah. So I was born in Miami Gardens, which is not necessarily the flashy side of Miami that everyone thinks about. Everyone envisions South Beach, right? That's where you envision everyone's in uh, swim shorts and bikinis and having a great time. No, that's, that's South Beach. And that's usually just for four or five months of the year, which is longer than most places. But right. where I was born was more of your standard Three, four-person family, some even larger than that, small single-family homes, except in an area that wasn't exactly the nicest area. My family was low-middle class the majority of my life up until, I would say, close to end of middle school, early high school years. So we would basically just move from neighborhood to neighborhood until it got progressively better. And so living in Miami, I lived there up to the point of Uh, Hurricane Andrew, which at the time was one of the worst hurricanes in history. I think it was like the third worst. And after Andrew occurred, we were the only house left on the block. Like it blew away every house except for ours and the church across the street. So that was enough for us to go. I think we should leave <laughs> and go somewhere else. <laughs> right. So uh, around the time that my brother was born, he was only, he's only 
four and a half years younger than me. By the time he was born, we moved to a different city in Fort Lauderdale. And within mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale is a, a subsidy called Sunrise, Florida. And then I was raised there for a couple years before moving to Plantation, Florida. So we just kept moving to these little cities until Plantation became our home, I believe, for around 16 years of my life. Basically around the time up until college and a little beyond that. And then everyone went their own way because everyone grew up a little more. Right. But, you know, to go from Miami to this more suburban life, but not so suburban yet, still very city-like. And then it just progressively got more suburban as time got on. I was like, okay, we must be moving up a little bit. You know, things are improving. And then around middle school, high school, it's like, oh, everyone's doing good now. This is fantastic. But it was nice to see that progression. I see it now. I didn't notice that when I was a kid. I just see Mm -hmm. it now. Of like, oh, my parents were working really hard to get to this point. And then when we got there, we really enjoyed things for however long it was, you know, quite a few years. Right. So, yeah. So are your parents also born in the U.S. or because we talked about your surname? Just wondering. So my dad was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, of all places. (laughs) And my mom was born in Havana, Cuba. And they met when my mom and dad were both living in Miami at the exact same time. Nice. So that's the whole reason why I was born there was they just happened to meet each other in the same place. And then, you know, I was a a concept down the road. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So how was school? Did you ever, okay. I have so many questions now. This is great. So did you ever feel like in between cultures having a mom from Cuba? Yes. Yes. So I was automatically supposed to know Spanish. That's a default. Everyone thinks that because you're anyone in your family speaks Spanish, it's an automatic for you. You have to learn it. You're going to know it. And if you don't know it, you have to learn it along the way. What's interesting thing, the interesting thing is that when my parents, you know, were raising me, so was my grandparents at the time. My grandparents speak Spanish. That's what they've done forever. The thing is, is that they raised their kids coming over from Cuba into America, moving all over the place. And they told them, speak English, because everyone here speaks English. So what became of that was my mom would speak in English and Spanish to me, but my grandparents would only speak in English to me. And then my aunts would only speak in English to me. Like they would flip-flop, but it'd be like 90% of the time they'd speak English to me. So what ended up happening is, is I never learned Spanish at all. I just ended up only learning English. But people still to this day... They look at me, automatic start speaking Spanish. And the funny thing is, is I know what they're saying and I respond in English because I, I, my, I don't have the switch to be able to turn it into Spanish for some reason, right. but I'm able to respond. And so it's been like that since, you know, since I can remember. And it's always been a, a conversation piece of like, why didn't you learn Spanish? It's like, I'm not programmed to learn yeah. that for some reason. It's just what it is. And my brother's worse. He just can't remember anything in Spanish. So it's an automatic for us. We always tell our dad, we're like, I guess we favored your side because we just never took it, but we, we remember everything else. Like we're, we're great at certain sports like him. We're really good at certain subjects just like him. And it's like, but the, the language thing, something happened. Like for some reason, that's just not clicking with us. And it's been like that forever. That's so interesting. Was that kind of like a, I'm just, taking a guess right here, was that maybe a reason uh, in school to be bullied or something? Did you have problems with your with other students there because of no, it? I, or? Funny enough, like I've always gotten along with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I had um, early on, I was always really good at observing people in my environment and adapting to their personality. Of course, I didn't know this. I was just acting how I was acting. But the thing is, I would, I would be very quiet and I would just observe who's in my class or who's in my area, see how they would act and then literally adapt to their exact personality because that's what they enjoy being like. And I would do this constantly. This, everyone's in little clicks, right? You have this click over here and that click over there. I never once adapted to just one and stayed there. I would find a way to be cool with everybody. And I had always done that except I was really quiet in elementary school and middle school. High school was like, I just said, screw it. 
And all of a sudden I'm talking to everybody, but I'm also the one who's talking all the time, right? So something, something along the way made me go, I'm going to be super annoying, but intentionally and people are going to love me. But I never was bullied in a sense. It was more of just like everyone was, you know, however their personality was is how they was. And I just adapted to it. And if there's something I didn't like, I just moved on from it. Uh, And so, you know, never had issues there, but I always had that question from certain friends of mine who knew multiple languages who are like, like my mom is Spanish too. Like, why don't you know this? And it's like, I'm not even going to entertain that question. Mm -hmm. I've already been through this enough. And that has still to this day come up. I'm 31 now. It has still come up to this day and it doesn't stop. And I think I will continue to hear this until I'm gone. (laughs) So yeah, right. (laughs) it's a part of my life. Right. So tell me a little bit about how you got into entrepreneurship. Was there like a catalyst event? Was there something where you said like, okay, mm-hmm. college is not my thing? Or what was it that got you into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I, I went to college and I got a degree, right? So a lot of people now, the narrative is don't go to college, become an entrepreneur. Right. Or it's the other way where it's I went to college and then decided to become an entrepreneur. I did both at the same time back when it wasn't the thing to do, right? So prior to going to college in 2007, uh, the University of Florida, I was in high school day trading, which is not legal under the age of 18. But I was using my dad's account and he let me. And I was trading as a 13 to 17 year old stocks in class on my breaks. I'd be trading stocks. So I would, I would find myself being super analytical, which in hindsight was the reason why I was so good at math. I would kill it in math class and everyone would be like, how do you do this in 15 minutes when everyone else is taking an hour? I'm like, I don't know. It's something I see it and it clicks and I'm just good and I'm done. And so I started noticing that my analytical brain when I was a younger teenager would start applying to different things, time management, trading, or just investing in general, or allocating time for certain projects. People would be like, how are you able to have time to have a job and be in four clubs and play sports? It's like, I don't know, but my brain's able to figure out how to do all of it, and I'm doing it successfully. Taking that into college, going from almost like a memorization type of student, I was just memorizing everything, to having to actually learn how to study was a completely different skill. But then at the same time, I at 18, was finding myself not interested in going to 18 credits of school every day and then coming home and studying for nine hours to get whatever grades I needed to get in order to get a degree. I found myself just completely deviating away from what I'm supposed to do, and I would learn other things along the way. And I found myself one day in my apartment going, I need to make some extra money because I can't live off loans forever. I, was, I already knew that, once again, the math side of my brain was kicking in. I'm going to be forty dollars to $50,000 in debt if I don't start making some money. And by, funny, funny enough, by the time I graduated, I was $45,000 in debt. Uh-huh. I, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen if things didn't start to progress. Right. And I hit the nail on the head. But at the time, it was, I need to start something and I need to do research on it. I will, I will figure out the school part later, but I'm, I need to figure this out in case I can't pay rent, I can't afford my books, I can't even buy food to eat, right? I need something else. Uh, and, and I didn't want to get a regular job. I experienced that in high school and I said, mm, I don't know if it's going to work for me unless they're paying a, a lot of money. And they weren't, clearly. So yeah. I, I spent hours upon hours of my day, even sometimes in school, I'd take out my laptop. This is before everyone had MacBooks and everything. So I, I would had my laptop in class, maybe half the class had laptops. And I'd take mine out and I would just start Googling how to make money online. That's the exact phrase I was typing in, how to make money online. And this is during the time where blogging was incredibly popular because bloggers were making a ton of money because no one was really blogging. Pay-per-click was, it was just pay-per-click. Yahoo, MSN, not, not Bing, that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, then you had Google, which was just AdWords. YouTube didn't have ads yet. So it's like all these platforms and people were saying, oh, just put in $5 a day and you can get 5,000 clicks. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds expensive. So I didn't have the money. And now I look at it and I go, man, if I had $20 a day, I would have made a killing in, in college, right? But once again, that's hindsight. So 
I just start digging into all this content and reading all sorts of blogs and journals and all this stuff of like how people are creating these businesses online. And I would say it took a week for me to have this moment of like, I think I'm going to do this. And it was the first week of school. So I'm going through all this, this stuff of just learning what we're going to do for the year. And in that same time, I'm going, oh, I'm definitely going to build something online at the exact same time of doing this. So I'd go to school. I'd do my whatever, four or five hours in a day. I'd come home. I'd work out and then immediately start doing something relating to business, whether it was learning how to build a WordPress site when WordPress was very new. I was building a WordPress site. I was learning how to do SEO. Uh, I was learning how to buy traffic. And I was just learning everything because I figured one of them I'm going to enjoy and then I'm going to run with it. But I got to try everything first. And so I'd build these sites, put content up that I would just rewrite someone else's content and then I would send traffic to it. And all I knew at the time was that's called arbitrage. That's all I knew. I send traffic to it. A click gives me 10 bucks. It costs me five bucks to get it. So I make $5. And if I just keep rinse and repeating this, I'll make a thousand bucks a month. That's all I wanted to make. Just a thousand bucks a month. And I just kept doing this over and over. And that began my entrepreneurial journey because then I built these sites for myself. Then I found out other people wanted websites. So I started helping them build their websites for like 500 bucks a piece. Then people wanted SEO because they didn't know what SEO was. And I started doing SEO for people. And it just evolved to the point where I'm just going to fast forward really quick. Four years later, when I graduated, I was already running Facebook ads four years in when no one knew Facebook ads existed. Mm -hmm. And it was mainly because when Facebook ads first began, it was only uh, open to corporate entities or people who had like a code to get in the plat into the platform. And one of my buddies worked for a big corporate business and they had codes to enter into this ecosystem and he gave me one. So I got in when no one even knew it existed. I, I had a Facebook profile for maybe like six months yeah. and all the ads that ran were on the right hand side and they were very small, but like five bucks <laughs> would get you millions of impressions. And I'm like, this is a gold mine in the making, except I couldn't figure out how to make it work. So I was just, playing with little money here and there on Facebook, trying to tell people why Facebook's important. And at the time, everyone's like, what the hell's Facebook? And so for years, I just kept going down that path of like, well, no one knows Facebook. So I guess I'm going to do SEO and website building. And it was very interesting for years to be like, I know this thing's going to work. I know this is going to work, but I'm going to keep doing this other thing to pay some bills along the way. And so my, my entrepreneurial journey was a little bit of everything. But I knew that something was going to happen with, at the time, it was just called social network advertising. Mm -hmm. So I was like, cool. Can you run ads on MySpace? You can. Let's run some ads on MySpace. Can you run ads on Facebook, on Twitter? Nope, can't do Twitter yet. Twitter wasn't even around until midway through my college life. So it's like all these platforms were just starting to open up. LinkedIn came along. YouTube was around. They had no ads yet. And then Google decided one day to buy them and open up an ad platform. So it's like all these things were evolving when I was in college. It was like the golden era of like really cheap ads, but no one could figure out what the hell to do with it. So I was learning everything along the way. And then of course, I started to figure it out after the fact. So I ended up getting my degree, plenty of struggles along the way, almost got kicked out of college for bad grades, partied way too much, went through depression, <laughs> all the ebbs and flows of what do I wanna be and do with my life because mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And so the whole entrepreneurial journey of what people go through now with like feeling alone and depressed and things aren't working and I've been doing this for years. Why aren't I earning? I went through that while in college, burning through loan money, thinking I had to get a degree because that's what my parents said I had to do. All while still developing a dream that I didn't really know what the dream was yet all at the same time. So it was a very interesting situation of uh, battling two different versions of myself, the one that wants to get a job so I can put some food on the table, and the other one who's like, I don't want a job because I know there's something to this. And so I went through that for four years of, uh, of my life. So 18 to 22, mm -hmm. I went through that. But I can't complain because college was also the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so it's like, there's, you know, there's both sides to the coin here, but... It's a, it's a part of my story that at 21, I was depressed 
to the point of having suicidal thoughts, mm. no one knew. No one knew because I would you know, show up with a smile on my face, get work done. Oh, David's just up till one in the morning again doing his thing because my roommates would all be like, oh, he's building some stuff that we don't even know what the hell he's building. Like he told us about this thing he did the other day. He made like 500 bucks in like 30 minutes. <laughs> so all they thought was I'm just over there building up millions of dollars worth of stuff. And they're just like, he's good. They would never check to see if I'm good at all. They would just be like, oh, he's, he's fine. And I would just hide it. I'm like, nothing's working. People don't want to work with me. It was like everything was opposite. No one wants to work with me. This isn't working. I have no money. Everything I'm buying is with loans. My parents are forcing me to get a job, or at least my mom was. My dad was like, do whatever makes you happy. My mom was, get the nine to five, because she was a nurse for 30 years. So it's like, just get, get a job, get a job, get a job. And that was being beaten into my head. So I was uh, battling this constantly, and then trying to finish without getting kicked out, because I kept having these semesters of like, yes, straight A's. Oh crap. I got C's again, straight A's again, C's again. Cause it's, it's hard to manage all that stuff all at the same time. So I had a very interesting four years, but it was something that set up the rest of my entrepreneurial life. Cause I already went through all the emotional headache you can go through very quickly yeah. uh, compared to some people who are going through that now with no college experience, or maybe they don't live at home anymore. And they're like, Oh man, like I have no money. It's like, well, I had no money when I lived by myself in an apartment. And then when I went back home, I had a year before I had to leave again. It was the ultimatum by my dad. He's like, you got a year. I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> Great. I got to figure this out in a year. But most people don't have to go through that anymore. So to me, I have that thick skin that most people don't have because I put it upon myself. And then I created these situations without re recognizing I created them happening in front of me and I happen to persevere through them yeah I think it's incredible what first of all we can kind of persevere through and how it can all happen at the same time we're almost yeah. the same age I'm like two years older like you and I remember Facebook coming out and in Germany we got Facebook way later on basically on screen and we had an own social network that I don't even remember why people were so obsessed with it. It was horrible. But I actually signed up with Facebook almost right at the beginning in 2007 because I worked in London at the time. And it was super strange to me how this was so much better organized. And I'm like a systems kind of person. Also in my head, everything runs in structures, you know, like I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And then I went back in Germany to this social media and everyone laughed and I'm like, this is just horrible. Why do you even use it? You know? And just like you, I tried to convince everyone come to Facebook. It's so much better. It's so much simpler. And mm -hmm. I remember when you talked about the ads in 2011, I, I started working for a digital marketing agency and we were one of the very first ones in Germany to be able to use Facebook advertisement. And so I learned from the very beginning just the same, but I promise you, I don't know anything anymore about it really. So I just, because I stepped out of it and I don't know really much about it, but I want to kind of um, go through, just take a little step back and ask you how did you get to the point of the depression and how mm -hmm. did you deal with it because i think especially in in times now where people are maybe feeling hopeless maybe they're they don't know what to do and as you said it can be really dangerous for people to get these suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. and actually not knowing how to go through and then you say as you said right like your roommate thought everything is okay and no one asked you about it because from the outside and that's what social media does for us a lot right it just looks like this shiny world yeah. you're making millions out there you know with your little programming they don't have any freaking idea what you're talking about anyways so how did you deal with that and how did you actually manage to get through without really hurting yourself i hope you didn't i didn't i didn't okay. it, was, it was all in my head and plenty of nights of crying and figuring out what the hell am I doing? And at the time, I would not open up to people about what I'm feeling or what I was thinking. Mm. And 
that went on for months. It was just like this constant self-talk of like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? All while still having to study and, you know, try to build something. And of course it would make things take two times longer because all I'm doing is stopping and thinking and stopping and thinking. And it's like, this isn't effective at all. And one day around, I would say probably like the early part of the year, around 2010 or so, somewhere around there, late 2009, early 2010, I just found myself going, I need to talk to somebody. I just need to start putting this out there. The thing is, I didn't have a person to just go to because you go to your parents, what's going to happen? It's an automatic reactive effect. Next thing you know, they're going to be at your place in a day, right? They're going to just show up. I'm like, I don't want that. That's not what I want. Uh, and I'm not going to have this conversation with my mom because then she'll freak out. And it's like, okay, that's off the table. And, you know, so I just start going down the list. I'm like, maybe I can call my best friend. Mm, eh, he doesn't really talk like that to me. I don't know if it's going to work. So I just went down this whole list. And then I just, I was like, you know what? Screw it. So I started recording myself on camera, just talking. And then I started posting them on YouTube. And this was when someone developed a uh, like a hundred day challenge of like a hundred videos type of thing. And I was like, hmm, okay, maybe I'll do the same. I'll not only do a video a day, but it was like a lifestyle thing. It's like, how do you change your life in a hundred days? hundred videos, hundred days. I'm like, cool. Well, I've always struggled with weight in my life and I'm sad. So how about I just record what I'm thinking and feeling while changing my life simultaneously? Hmm, okay, maybe I'll try that out. So I started recording these videos. This is back when... We didn't, iPhones were like either brand new or they weren't even a concept yet. Like they, they were just starting to make waves. Everyone actually had Android phones <laughs> for a while. Uh, they were brand new. It, there you go. And so I took out my phone and, you know, every, there wasn't the front facing camera yet. So everyone was doing it this way. Or you had one of those uh, flip minnows, the old school, yeah. like little press the button and record yourself. And I had one of those. And I would just start recording myself talking about how my day was like, what I was thinking throughout the day, and just a couple of experiences throughout, you know, throughout the day. But then I would also make the effort of like, and I also worked out today, which is good for me because I haven't done that in forever. So I just started like making subtle changes. And I noticed that by doing that, it was like, that was the beginning of me meeting people online, so to speak, because even though Facebook was around, I was just connecting with people I knew. I wasn't going to events and stuff yet. That wasn't a part of my life yet. So everyone I connected with were just people I already knew. This introduction to YouTube and really posting things was when I started meeting people online. That's when I started meeting people who aren't even in the same state or even in the same country. And then at the same time, I started getting people who are following my stuff. And they're like, I love watching your videos because you're so honest and open and all these things. I'm like, oh, there's something to this. Now, I was just doing it purely from the sense of maybe this will make me feel better. And then all I know is that I went about 150 days of just posting every day. But then I, that's also how I met my now wife was through this competition because she was in it too, in okay. a completely different state. So it was, it was interesting because it was, it was allowing me to release whatever was trapped in my head or whatever I was feeling in my body. I would just here it is, right? Whatever I'm feeling. And I will record at any time of the day. If I couldn't sleep at two in the morning, I would just wake up and I would record. And then I would actually work out at like two 30 in the morning because I'm like, I got to get myself to sleep somehow. So I would just work out, record my thoughts, take a shower, pass back out. And I would just do this constantly until I felt like I was good. And it took 150 days for me to go, I think I'm okay now. And I stopped. What's interesting, what's interesting is once again, looking back, I should have just kept going because I was creating something that people were paying attention to. It was basically vlogging before vlogging was a thing. Right. And I just said, you know what? This was good enough for me. This is what I needed. And then from there, I was able to move on. At the same time, I was able to meet my wife. And then I was able to meet all these people online who then were supporting whatever I was doing. And I'm like, oh, this is the beginning of what a real social network is like. People who were not just your everyday friends, it's people outside of your network. And you create something that everyone supports and enjoys and maybe everyone benefits from. And that is what allowed me to break through that, that moment of like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I, I had those plenty of days where I'm just like, I don't want to be in this world at all. Like I'm done. 
but I wouldn't do anything. It was just these thoughts. And I'd have these thoughts of like, maybe someone could take care of that for me. Cause I was, I was like, I don't want to do this. Maybe something, something else will take care of that for me. But all I was doing was trying to create circumstance mm. of like, maybe something will happen. And all I was doing was just deflecting the, the, the obvious, which is I was just unhappy. I was alone. I had no one really to talk to. My, my roommates thought everything was cool. And when I would talk to them, it would just be about what happened at the football game or the basketball game and how much they hate these certain classes and what the hell you want to eat tonight. Like that, that was it. There was no deep conversations whatsoever. <laughs> so I just allowed that to happen the way it is. And then I used YouTube in a sense to just get everything out and then once I felt like it, the tank was empty mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, I actually feel really good now. I just stopped, hit all those videos. I just took them all off and I'm like, you know what? New, new life, new everything. Let's start fresh, but I'm going to keep this business and I'm going to finish college. And that's what I did. I just finished college, got my degree. I was probably the most unhappy recipient of a bachelor's degree of all time because I got it and I went, Awesome. And I gave it to my parents and I said, cool, I'm going to go back and start building my stuff now. Like I, w- I just went to graduation to get it so my family could see that I had it. I did not celebrate it for more than maybe 10 minutes. I was already beyond that. I was like, okay. I'm going to go build something that I'm going to be proud of and I don't have to go to a nine to five and all this stuff. So my, I was already years ahead because that whole YouTube experiment put me in this mind state of like, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to make this work. College is right now just for fun. I'm just going to do this and finish it because I've already started it. I'm, I'm 80% of the way. That's it. I'm just going to finish what I've started. And then I'm going to go build the thing that I want to build. And it was probably the greatest thing that's ever happened was going through that state of depression because I came out the gate just guns blazing. Let's do this thing. Oh, you don't know Facebook? Let me break it down for you. Like now I started to own it, that I can educate people on the platform, get them to move there, show them the power of it. Like now I became more of like an authority figure without actually being an authority. I was just owning the fact that I'm going to be one. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to just start putting that out there and sharing things with people. And then naturally people will start to follow and so on and so forth. And even though it wasn't really happening yet, I was, I was basically projecting that it's going to happen. So I would just start doing things as if it was happening. Yeah. And that's why I was like, I broke through that whole state of depression, probably like six months, probably like it, it happened over a course of six months. And then just one day I woke up and I'm like, I'm good now. Like it was, it was like a really weird feeling. It's like, I woke up, and I'm like, I'm surprisingly happy today. Like this is very different. And then it happened a couple of days in a row and I'm like, Oh, I'm actually happy now. And then that's when things started to click. So it was all my own doing. I created that. And at the same time, I helped myself get out of it. But I, I was being creative in how I got myself out of it. I love it. YouTube as a therapist, who would have <laughs> thought? <laughs> now it's more of a, um, it's used to deflect and get away. <laughs> yeah. I was using it to change things and get out my thoughts and feelings, which I think yeah. people still do to this day. Yeah. They just do it differently. They do it with monetization in mind. Right. right? So they don't necessarily do it to do it like a therapeutic session. Yeah. They're just, yeah. you know, here's what I'm feeling. And oh, by the way, go buy my course. Right. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic now. Yeah, I totally get it. Wow. But that's extremely powerful to even get to the point where we think like, well, there's nobody in my phone that I really could talk to. And I noticed feeling very, very well. I also know how parents are having the best things for us in mind. But mm-hmm. they may not be the best things for us because that's their best things, but not our best things. So mm-hmm. I totally get that. But I would have never gotten to like, actually, now that I think about it, I did something very similar, but not in videos. I wrote it all out. So I mm-hmm. wrote it all out and put it on the internet and then I pushed the button and I ran away from the laptop. And And I was very shocked seeing that thousands of people read this article later on. I'm like, oh my God, okay, this is terrifying. So talk to me a little bit about, I know you shared with me before the show, Mm -hmm. what happened when you were 25, when you were about to lose your business and then everything went down the train. 
Yeah, so that would be the year seven mark around the time of when, at the time I had a mentor, or I just began working with this guy. And he didn't want anything from me. He just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train you. I'm going to help you out. And he's like, I don't want anything from you. He goes, there's just something there that I know that I can help you with. So I just feel this, this compulsion to be like, I'm going to help this guy. And he still to this day can't figure out what it was, but he just had this feeling of like, there's something there. So I'm going to help this person. So he told me that it was in his own business that the seven-year mark was when things broke down, rebuilt it, and came back 10 times stronger. And he goes, so I always tell people it's the rule seven. If you can't get to the seven-year mark of your business and have some sort of downfall, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Most people have it within the first seven years or their first couple of years are just complete trash and nothing's working. And then all of a sudden things start to work. He goes, some people come running out the gate. Everything's amazing. And then in year seven, boom, everything crashes, right? Not everyone mm-hmm. just starts a business and keeps it that way forever. Plenty of businesses go through ups and downs. Tesla is a great example, right? They actually started off terrible, came back strong, went terrible again, and came back strong again. Like they've done this multiple times. Right. And they should have been out of business probably five times. <laughs> so, you know, on just the moon. <laughs> yeah, you never know. It could still happen. But it's one of those right. things where it, it has these moments where it's like, oh, my God, it's a real business. No, it's not. Oh, my God, it's a real business. No, it's not. Right. And he told me, he's like, the rule of seven is that you're going to get to the seven year mark. And if things haven't already been bad, something's going to happen. It's going to suck. And then you're going to get through it. And when you get through it, that'll actually build the business you've been wanting to build. Okay. I was like, cool. Sounds great. Now, of course, I'm hearing this in the beginning of year seven going, it's not that great yet. So how much worse can it really get? Oh, it can get a lot worse. It can get a lot worse because I actually had to get a job for a year and a half just to put money in the bank to get my own place because I had that one year ultimatum of get out, right? So I'm like, I got to get something or else I'm screwed. So got a job, year and a half, went from intern to marketing director of a business in three months because they were like, who are you again? I'm like, you hired me as an intern. And I just came in here and realized I'm much better than your marketing director. And I'm going to show you why. And I actually took her job as an intern, which was very weird. I felt terrible later at the time. I was just like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, let me just show you what really could be done here. And went from unpaid to let's just say making in college, imagine coming out of college, making four grand a month just with zero in the, in the bank and you're 45 K in debt. And all of a sudden you're making $4,000 a month. You're like, Oh, this is fantastic. Except I didn't get comfortable with it. I was like, this is not what I'm going to do forever. I'm going to do something else. And I just kept building my business. And my boss at the time didn't realize that I was building my business while still working there. I would do all my work in two or three hours. And then I'd work on my business while at my job. And I'd end up working at my business like four or five hours of the day. He didn't notice this till I was about to quit because had a conversation with me saying, I have a feeling you're going to quit soon. He actually called it. He's like, I have a feeling you're going to leave because you're, you're doing things so quickly that I know you don't need to be here. He's mm-hmm. like, you could probably do all this from home. I was like, I could, but you want me here. So I'm here. Right. And so 18 months of that went all in on my business. Finally, just, I'm going to do this. And then everything crashed and burned because that was when I decided that I was just going to only do Facebook ads. Okay. So we're talking about Facebook ads being still in its infancy, seven, eight years in, things are just starting to come up to where people are understanding that Facebook's a thing. Still didn't understand Facebook yet, but people who were running ads were starting to get some really good results. So I was like, okay, let's just only talk about Facebook ads now. And I was doing that, but slowly the bank account kept going like this because people weren't buying into the idea. I didn't have any courses, so no one was buying any courses. There weren't that many back then on Facebook ads anyway. My agency was basically losing clients every month because I was like, I'm moving to Facebook ads. You know, everyone who's doing SEO and whatever with me, I'm going to bring you along with the journey and we're going to make way more doing this and just trust me. Some people would go, okay, and some people would go, nope, and they would just leave. So slowly I would lose like one client every month to the point where by the time it was October of 2013, around that time, I was like, oh, I got one client left. This could barely even pay my bills. It can only pay like my car and my internet. That's it. 
and I don't want to live in my car. So this is not good. And this is when my, my girlfriend, well, my wife now, who is my girlfriend, was living with me and she didn't have a job. It was like, oh, we're screwed. We are so screwed because I was the only income and I have no income. And he warned me. He's like, something's going to happen and things are going to hit rock bottom. You're going to know you hit rock bottom. You're going to feel things you haven't felt in forever. Depression came up again like that. It was like, oh, hey, old friend, how are you doing? Haven't seen you in a couple of years. And it was like, all of a sudden, all these things started just popping up. But what was interesting, the interesting thing about it all was that when I did hit zero, which was on Halloween of 2013, I knew that I hit rock bottom because I couldn't afford candy for the kids coming to my door. Mm. So I'm like, okay. Like, imagine having a breakdown in your office, which was just a separate room in my house, where I was just like, I can't buy $3 candy for kids who look super happy to be outside right now. I can't even give them a miniature Snickers or anything because I can't afford it. Can't, just can't. So I was having this massive breakdown. At the same time, I was fighting with my girlfriend because I'm like, we're broke. So we were fighting about money. We were fighting about everything. And it, I, I was just like, this, is, this isn't gonna work. I was telling myself like, none of this is gonna work. Like I'm gonna lose everybody. I'm going through this again. My parents don't want to talk to me. That was self-inflicted. I just wasn't talking to them. So it was like all these things were happening. But it was that same day, close to midnight. So basically running into the 1st of November, I was like, something happened. I'm crying on my floor, just sitting up against the wall. And then I had an idea and I had a whiteboard. So I'm like, okay. So it's like all of a sudden I just stopped crying. I just started writing all the stuff that was in my head. All I did, and this has become like my famous experiment to people who know me. I contacted every single person on my friends list, which at the time they didn't have a spam limit. So I just contacted every person, right? One by one, sent them a message. And I offered 770 people a free account audit if they ran ads in exchange for a piece of advice that would help me get out of the situation I'm in. I didn't want anything, just a piece of advice. So I sent out 770 messages like a hundred something people responded. So that gave me a lot of context as to who really cares, right? I'm like, oh, these are my real friends right here. Like they're actually trying to help me here. I did something like 70 audits and I got 10, 10 clients out of it. But then I also got a hundred pieces of insight from people. So I had people who were like, I don't even need an audit. I'm not running ads. I'll just give you some advice. So I got tons of advice from people. The audits that I did, they were all appreciative. So a lot of those people that I did audits for are still around to this day. And then 10 of those people became clients. So within a 24-hour span of me going crazy and doing this experiment, I think over the course of like a four-day period, because I had to pay rent and all this stuff, it was the first of the month. They gave me a grace period of like three days. So basically, I had till about the third or the fourth of the month to pay everything. By the third, I made $10,000 because people were paying me. They were like, oh, what's your, your fee for management? Uh, at the time, undervaluing myself. 1500 bucks a month. Cool. Here you go. I'm like, oh my God, let's do it again. And it just kept happening. And I'm like, where did this money come from? Oh, that's right. I've been up for 22 hours straight for the last, every day, 22 hours. I would sleep two hours and do it again. Keep going. Because I had to do these audits, right? So I'm doing the audits and I'm sending the responses and the email and checking in on people who never responded. I was doing hardcore outreach for three to four days made the money I needed to make paid all my bills without missing a deadline basically I I met the deadline they all asked for nothing got taken away nothing was repossessed or whatever I hit all deadlines and then I decided okay I now have like seven people working with me awesome how do I keep them on board so that began like this whole process of like learning how to nurture your clients, learning how to do outreach organically, didn't even spend money on ads. To this day, I still haven't run an ad for my business. I've just done podcasting and interviews for on web shows and people have featured me in their, in their press uh, articles and all this. I still never run an ad for my business. I have a very large referral network and I have referral partners that you know, they may not send me anything for six months. And then all of a sudden I wake up and it's like, I got three emails from them. Like this guy needs something. This guy needs something. I'm like, cool. Awesome. I'll take care of all of them. And so I still build a lot of my business around relationships. Cause that's what I built in that moment was this is my network. 
Here are the people who really care. Here's the ones who don't. I'm still going to keep in contact with them because maybe I can move them over. I, I was basically building this, this sales portal in advance before all the tools came around. I was like, they're in phase one. They're in phase two. Like I was just moving them down this chain and then I would start getting clients from that until a year later, I had my first six figure year. So from that moment to a year later, I made six figures doing the exact same process over and over and over and over until I was like, I, I, I really don't think I need to do this anymore because I think now people are starting to pay attention. And that's when I started doing case studies and just putting out tips about how to run ads. And one of my friends joked along the way, he's like, I think you're the ads guy for other ads guys because yeah. you're running ads for people who say they run ads. And I found out that you were actually running the ads. And I'm like, oh, it's working. And finally, people are starting to see that I've been doing this for so long. And then it just evolved from there. So I, I had my breakdown and then the rebuild all within that same time period. And it was in the seven-year mark that all this stuff happened. And then add on another seven years. I mean, basically, that's where we're almost at now. We're in the second set of seven years with all the craziness going on. And I'm like, oh, I'm going through, I'm going through this again, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm able to see where I have new opportunity for growth. And it's not out of necessity or scarcity. It's doing it because I choose to do it this way now. Like yeah. now I'm going in a different direction because I want to. So it's an interesting thing to observe and you know bring up again because I'm like, oh, I'm actually going through that again now, but because I want to. Yeah. I'm going through a different phase. So yeah. This is incredible. I love stories like this. And I think people don't appreciate enough the backstories of how people actually got to success and how much pain it often took. And it's not about you being there 22 hours, but it was like how much pain you were willing to take because like, it's painful to see that maybe the friends that you expected to actually help you didn't. But then you found out, oh, look at those five. I didn't hear anything from them in like two years, but they're the first ones to reply. You know, like yeah. it's, it's this kind of things that I feel a lot of people are not willing to put themselves out. I really want to know, what do you think was the, uh, maybe the top three or five advices you got from different people that actually replied that helped you snapping you out of this, scenario besides you actually having this fabulous idea yeah well the funny enough uh the, the first three uh, is actually things that i remember the most because i still use them to this day so i came up with the idea of practice patience and persistence mm-hmm. around that time because I, i noticed that the trend that a lot of people were telling me was like keep practicing your craft you know be very persistent with continuing to do it and then Your patience comes along because it's like every piece of work that I'm doing is going to add up to something big, mm-hmm. right? So you're practicing everything every day. I'm practicing ads every day, right? I'm learning something and I'm applying it. Then the the patience and the perseverance is like, it's all in the pers- persistence, excuse me, it's all wrapped in together because some people can be extremely patient and some people are not, but it's the fact that you're continually doing this thing day in and day out because you know that the result is there, right? It's coming. So just keep going. And so those three things kept coming up every time. It's like, I kept getting this advice of like, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep uh, practicing your craft. Keep telling people about what you're doing. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm noticing the trend here and let me consolidate it down to these three things, right? But then outside of the practice, patience and persistence, I would then get from my mentor, he would say that you have to, consistently own that you are the greatest at what you do, regardless of what other people say. Like you have to feel it that you are number one. So if you go out there and you say you're number one, people have to feel that you mean it and not look at you and go, oh, he's just being very cocky. He goes, no, if you go out there and you go, I'm the greatest at what I do. I believe I'm the greatest at what I do. I know I'm number one in this space and I will do everything in my capacity to continually be the best at this and people believe it, you've made it. You've officially made it because now you've actually helped people understand and believe that you are that. They don't, they don't go, oh, he's, he's a BS artist. He's, what is he talking about? He's like, you've been in this 
for so long that if you came out and actually said that, maybe you would be surprised how many people believe it. Mm. And I think I did this about three, four years ago. I wrote a post that said, I truly believe I am the best at what I do and no one could take that away from me. That was the first line I wrote. And it was one of the most engaged things I wrote that year because people were just commenting like, no, you are the only person I go to for this stuff. I don't talk to anyone else about this. This, You're the only person who's ever offered to help me and you did it for free. And then when I paid you for something, you went above and beyond for it. It was like just constant amounts of social proof without me asking for it. I was just, I was like, I'm owning this. I'm putting it out there and I actually feel it. And then people were validating it. And he's like, I showed it to him, screenshot it, sent it to him. He goes, that's your validation. Now you have to actually live it. So if you live this, no one will ever take it away from you. And then even if someone else puts a list of the top 10 people in your space, he goes, the funny thing is, is your name will always get mentioned, even if the list comes out, because someone else will come in there and go, what about David? What happened with David? And he goes, and you'll never have to say your name again. Just let other people do the talking for you. That's when you know you've made it. And I was like, okay, we'll see what happens there. And now people still put up these posts about like, who do you recommend for ads? And I'll get tagged five, six, 10 times. I don't have to say anything anymore. I've done my work. I said, I am the best at what I do. Whether or not you believe it is up to you, but I'm going to keep doing the work. I'm going to keep showcasing my work. And then you can decide. I'm still living that because now when people say like, why should I hire you? I'm like, you only want to talk to the best, right? Well, you're talking to them. And I shut up. And I just wait and I let them decide on whether or not they want the best or not. It's like, I don't need to sell you. I've, I've done the work. So let's, yeah. let's do this. Yes or no. And then, you know, I just go from there. And, you know, like I said, some people will consider that cocky. I just look at it as I'm extremely confident in what I do. So why should I have to sell you on that? I don't have to. So, you know, that's, that was the, one of the, the core things for me that I just ran with. But then the, the practice patience and persistence was a reminder that I just have to keep going and keep doing what I'm doing because clearly someone is going to get some impact from it. And then you'll, you'll reap the results down the road. I love that so much. As someone who likes to think about herself, <laughs> not that I want to brag about it, but as a very impatient person, I definitely have to break this down. I'm 17 years into my craft now, and I'm very perseverant and I have a lot of crit, but patience is some something I have with other people, but not with myself. Mm. So it's like everything cannot happen fast enough. Whereas the interesting thing is that I know I do have to play a long-term game with everything, like whether it's with my health, for example, because I had like tremendous health issues and it took me consciously when I started to actually consciously work on that I want to say almost 20 years now to work out how to heal that when every single doctor would tell me I will never even be better than mm. what I was born with because there were like chronic illnesses and whatever and I'm I never believed that so I do want to I do think there is a lot of patience that I carry but there are things that I just I just can't bring up the patience that I would love to have. So what, give me one advice how I can be more patient with myself. So a lot of that could actually be resolved with, you know, we've all created short-term goals and long-term goals, right? And usually when you think about patience, you think about a goal you've set maybe a year or two down the road and Once again, you're doing your practicing and you're, you're very persistent in getting things done because you're like, I'm going to hit this goal in two years. But what a lot of people forget is that if you can create your weekly, monthly, or quarterly goals and you keep hitting those, you'll actually forget about that two-year goal. And then by the time that two-year goal comes around, you're like, oh, I was doing everything along the way to hit that goal anyway. And so you were patient the whole time. You were just working at hyper, hyper speed to get there. And so if you just set something far out and you're like, I don't want to wait that long for this thing to happen, that's when it starts to kick in where you either completely go in a different direction and never tackle that original goal, or you start doing things that have nothing to do with the goal in the first place, where it's like you're, you're actually derailing yourself constantly. 
And I, and I'm associating it with goals because it's like, I'm sure we both operate in that capacity where it's like, I'm going to hit this number or I'm going to get this thing, or I'm going to go to this place. Like there's always something attached to it, whether it's materialistic or not, because it allows us to create a plan to get to that point. Right. It's like, I just want to move a couple steps and I get here and then I figure out where I want to go next. So I look at it as my patience really kicked in when I was creating a goal for when I was 30 years old and I was 22. I'm like, that's eight years from now. And I got to be very patient along the way and making sure I do my thing correctly. So by 30, I'm good. And by the way, that goal was just to pay off my student loans before the age mm-hmm. of 30. I paid them off at 27. Okay. But what I did was I, I started to create quarterly goals, right? And I knew that as long as I kept hitting these goals, I would get a lot closer to that other thing. But it would also take my mind off the fact that this other thing was eight years away, right? I was just like, okay, that's so far. But if I can just do things that are quarterly, that gives me something to work with. Can I be patient for three months? Yes, I can. No problem. Just keep doing my thing. What I didn't notice was that I started just not thinking about that long-term thing. And I just kept thinking about now, three months, three months, three months, three months. Then I started doing monthly. And then I started doing weekly. And I started realizing that every time I do the weekly thing, the quarterly thing happens faster. And every time the quarterly thing happens, the monthly, uh, sorry, the monthly stuff and then the quarterly and so on and so forth. And that's why that eight year goal ended up being five years because I just kept going. And so I would create these things in the short term that would keep me away from thinking about the thing I'm trying to do years from now. Like even now I have a goal for when I'm 35. I have a goal for when I'm 40. Like I'm doing these things in five year increments just to keep along with that trend I set for myself a while back. But I look at that and I go, I'm still creating my quarterly, my monthly, and my weekly goals. And even if I have a week where nothing gets done, can I still get to that monthly or quarterly goal on time? And as long as I keep doing that, it's inevitable that my one year or five year goal is going to happen because I'm going to keep following that path until it happens. And so I think I've become a lot more patient with it because it also goes along with like my weight loss goals. I've always yo-yoed with my weight my whole life. I had another health scare two years ago. I moved out to, well, two and a half, three years ago when I moved out to Colorado. So it's like the one thing that doctors always tell you when you're going through your, your health journey is be patient with the results. Like you're doing the work. It's going to happen. Just keep doing the work. At least good doctors will tell you that, right? So it's like, just keep going. And funny enough, I'm like, oh, I already apply this to business. If I just treat my body like my business and do things weekly, monthly, quarterly, I will get there. Now, of course, I have more things going on in my head about how I need to do this is why I always derail myself in my health journey because it's a different voice than the voice I use for business. So it's training that that side of me to adapt and be okay with certain results and understanding it takes time. <clears throat> but I've now started to treat my health and fitness and all that just like a business, you know, doing things incrementally, setting goals and what are the awards I give myself for hitting those goals. And now it's becoming a lot more like, okay, here's the goal for a year from now. And I'm going to do what I got to do to get there, but I'm going to do little micro goals along the way. So I've sort of pre-built my patience into everything because I'm just looking at what's in front of me and not Mm -hmm. the thing that's way out there because most people just look at what's way out there and they go, man, that's so far. Like what? I don't know if I want to do it anymore. It's like, well, because you didn't put a bunch of other stuff in the way. So you don't see that thing over there. So I think you can get a lot more patient along the way because you're probably already doing this, but didn't look at it that way. It was like, just set all these incremental steps along the way. And then you do an observation at the end of the year. And you go, yeah. oh, how much did I reduce this journey or this adventure to where I'm actually really close to what I was looking for in the first place? And then you'll actually appreciate the journey a lot more. Right. Because then you'll start seeing yourself get there a lot faster. I love that. I do. You're totally right. I have a whole system, obviously, <laughs> set up <laughs> that I also use with my clients. And uh, I basically force it upon them because it really works. It's exactly yeah. what you just said. Um, but I never looked at it as being patient. And maybe I'm just going to screw that word and use something different because I feel like I'm trying to force myself to be patient and probably I'm more patient than I think that I am. It, it probably has a different meaning to you, right? So it's like yeah. patience may not be what you're looking for. It could be you know, whatever the word that comes up. 
it's this, it has the same symbolism, but it's the thing that makes you more motivated to go towards that goal. Yeah. I think patience just has a really bad negative connotation for me, which is why I'm like, I don't want to be patient. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh-uh. But I, do, people, I probably do it. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I love it. So we're about to wrap up this episode. So I have two more questions for you. Sure that I ask all of my guests. So while we are at patience and at achieving goals, tell me what's the meaning of efficiency to you? So it used to be that it would just be getting a lot of things done and getting them done in a timely manner. And to me, efficiency now has to do more with not just taking an action to get something done, but is it meaningful action towards the bigger goal? So I can create a to-do list of 10 items, but it, are these 10 items something that's going to get me to that bigger goal? Or is it just busy work? Mm-hmm. And I was the king at busy work for many, many years. I looked great on paper, you know, but at the, I wasn't getting to the goal. So to me, when I look at efficiency, I look at are the tasks that I've set for myself and my team helping us get to this goal in a timely manner, the time that we set in the next three, six, nine, 12 months from now? And if so... We are in a hyper-efficient mode. We are moving the needle every day. If we're inefficient, it's because we've done a bunch of stuff and nothing's changed. And so to me, it's just hyper-focus. It is tasks that actually move you in the direction you want to move. And you can actually analytically see it too, right? If there's numbers that can showcase that movement, let's just say monetary for this example, Mm -hmm. I want to make a million dollars. Net. Okay. What do I have to do task-wise to create more business? How do I have to keep my margins high? What do I need to do in order to, you know, X, Y, Z? You just keep the different questions going and how you can fulfill those questions. And if you see that your net margin keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you've been able to quantify that all the tasks you're doing are very efficient. So we look at it from that standpoint. I say we because my team and I do this together. It's like, what are we doing today or this week that is going to move the needle closer to the bigger goal? And if so, can we quantify it on Friday when we look at everything as to we got closer to this thing? And that's how I look at efficiency. Love it. Um, Last question for today. If you had to push the reset button, but you would keep all of the knowledge and all of the everything that you know from the hindsight, what would be the three things that you would keep doing over and over again to get back to success? All right. So if I reset today, and I have all the same knowledge. I actually believe I wouldn't have started an agency. I actually believe I would have kept doing the investing stuff that I was doing before because I was very good at it. I would have, I would have continued to day trade because I enjoy it. To this day, I still enjoy it. I do believe I would have continually moved in the direction of having an agency, but would have done it more from a boutique consultancy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Maybe 10 people, myself, and working with high-level clientele versus just all the people I know. And then I also believe that I would have taken my health a lot more serious along the way uh, instead of killing myself all the time. I would have probably worked my, my health and my business along a similar path where I was once again patient with the process instead of just all business and no health. I probably would have kept things pretty even keel along the way versus just hardcore business all the time to the point of exhaustion and breaking down. So, you know, if I had everything I know in my head right now, it's like I I would have just done a lot of what I was doing already, but just either slowed it down in a different way and taken a path where it's like, oh, this isn't going to kill me. (laughs) You know, just let's go do this thing. But this also makes me happy, which is like the trading thing was always what I wanted to do. And I just neglected it and pushed it away. Mm -hmm. So I would have found a way to integrate that more into my day-to-day life, which funny enough... I started doing six months ago. So Love it. it's, I feel like I've already hit the reset and I'm just doing it in a different way. So yeah. yeah. I love that, especially because this is one of my, or it's actually my main approach with my clients to slow down in order to speed up. So yep. that's what we're doing. I love it. David, thank you so, so much for all of your time and your insights and your honesty on this podcast. It was really, really amazing. And yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And please share with everyone where they can find you and what they can find there. 
Sure. So if you want to contact me directly, maybe you want to get some consulting or you want your ads done for you because you want the best in the world to do it, <laughs> david at convertroi.com. That's where you can email me direct. You don't have to hit up a support person, no nothing, just me directly. And we can have a uh, some sort of communication around what you want to do. And then if you would rather just connect with me on Facebook, obviously, of all places, facebook.com slash S-C-H-L-O-S-S-Y, because everyone calls me Schlossy. And so that's where you would find me on there. And once again, you could type in my name, David M. Schloss on Instagram, because that's the other place that I'm hanging out the most. Um, but yeah, if you contact me in one of those three places, we will move the needle and have a conversation further about your business, your offer, or maybe you just have an idea that you're not quite sure if it's something that's advertisable. And then I can help you with that. I love that. Please, everyone, check out the show notes because we will have the links for you there. And if you didn't know, Schloss in German is actually the name for a castle. Mm -hmm. So that should be saying already that you're at the top of what you're doing just by your name already. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.